This is the Florida Roundup. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for being along with us this week. So let me ask you a question. Have you dreaded going to your mailbox and seen an envelope from your home insurance company? It could be a note that you're being dropped or it's a renewal notice, but with a huge increase. I bought my house in 2016. My insurance premium in 2016 when I bought the house was $716. I live in Deberry, Florida. So it's $716 in 2016. This is now 2023. My home insurance renewal, I, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I want to say my home insurance renewal this year was 2700 David Pajero is about as informed a buyer of home insurance that you can get. He lives in Volusia County. My name is David Pajero. I'm the agency principal for the Brightway Insurance locations in DeBerry, Florida and Longwood, Florida. Pajero has been selling home insurance in Florida for almost 20 years, and he says there's plenty of blame to go around for today's home insurance crisis. You could literally point the finger in any which direction and not be wrong. Right. So a lot of folks want to say it's all these darn roofers. It's these attorneys. It's, you know, the state. It's these people taking advantage of you know, sort of the climate. And you wouldn't be wrong in, in any of them. Janelle Bakanowitz is a real estate agent in the Orlando area. Primarily Volusia, Seminole, and Orange County, which is central Florida. Recently, she was representing both the buyer and seller of a $2 million home in Winter Park. First of all, we didn't even know if my buyer was going to be able to get insurance, so the deal almost fell apart which was scary. I've never had that happen before. The trouble began not with the house or with the amount of coverage, but with the buyer's old home that was a thousand miles away from central Florida. My buyer had a claim that he had put in a few years ago in Massachusetts, which they actually dinged him on that. McConowitz says that claim was from a washing machine that overflowed in Massachusetts. The buyer eventually found a company willing to insure the Winter Park home, but at a pretty steep premium. Yeah, the impact has been crazy. I mean, it's a matter of, it's a deal, sometimes it's a deal breaker. The home insurance crisis here is on top of what already is an affordability crisis across the state, continuing to drive up the cost of living and making home ownership that much more expensive and difficult to achieve especially for first-time buyers. When you add insurance as another element to that, it in some cases can make it hard for a client to actually qualify because it drives the payment up. Kristen Eck is with Next Mortgage in Central Florida. Mortgage companies usually require a home to have insurance before they will lend money to buy the house. Without the insurance, there's no mortgage. Or if the insurance is so expensive, it can then limit how much money a buyer can afford to borrow. Now, there's windows, water heaters, and roofs. Those are common items that insurance companies are focused on for Eck and her buyers. We're seeing a lot of ways of clients are, are getting roofs negotiated, new roofs negotiated into their, their deal to be able to get a manageable insurance payment. So the home insurance crisis, let's talk about that this week here on the Florida Roundup. How much are you paying to insure your home? What has it meant for your household budget? Have you been forced to change insurance companies? And how can the state begin to fix the broken market? Our email inbox is open now. Go ahead and send us a quick note. Radio at thefloridaroundup.org. Radio at thefloridaroundup.org. Or call 305-995-1800. 305-995-1800.
John Schneider is a Florida Republican representative from Martin County. Representative Schneider, thanks for joining us. Before I ask about the special session and any type of effort toward home insurance, how do you understand the forces that have been escalating the cost of insurance in Florida? Yeah, Tom. Well, one of the things that you know, sitting on the, the insurance and banking subcommittee the last couple of years, uh, where the analysts agree is that the primary driver to the cost of property insurance for the everyday Floridian, myself included, uh, has been uh, decades of really what folks have called Florida being a judicial hellhole, where one-way attorney fees have really driven the costs of what should be a twenty, thirty, forty thousand $40,000 repair into a quarter million dollar claim when you tack on all these uh, attorney fees. And so we, we went into special session last February uh, to reverse that, uh, in addition to some other me measures where we'll be uh, diving into that, uh, again, in this special session specifically uh, on property insurance. But uh, we know there's more work to do, but we certainly see positive signs that our reforms are working. Yeah, talk to us a little bit about those signs. You mentioned that uh, decision in February that closed the one-way attorney's fees, so insurance companies no longer have to pay a homeowner's lawyers if the insurance company loses in a claim. For those folks that are seeing their home insurance renewals after that law has taken effect, why haven't they realized some savings? We know this is a market-based problem with market-based results. And so what we've seen since that special session is that five new companies have chosen to enter the Florida markets because at the end of the day, that's how we drive these prices down. We need to create the regulatory environment where companies are coming in to compete for the business of property insurance uh, and giving consumers options to choose from. I know you mentioned the lawsuits as uh, a driver of escalating home insurance premiums over the course of many years. No insurance company in Florida that has failed has cited the cost of lawsuits for their failure. So why is it seen as the legal environment as the cause for rising premiums? The companies that have left is because they know they're not profitable. Throughout the country, you know, Florida is only responsible, even though we are a hurricane state, we're only responsible for about 20% of the actual claims uh, for property damage, but we're responsible for over 80% uh, of the litigation. And so, you know, look, uh, the storms are a big part of that. We know that. Uh, and that's why there is no one single solution to this. On the lawsuit piece, given the outsized number of lawsuits that Florida is responsible for for home insurance, doesn't that tell us something about the relationship between insurance companies and their ability nay, willingness to pay claims without having to go to court? Well, part of the what we did in this special session was ensuring that we are holding insurance companies accountable for timely and, and, and fair payments when damages occur. What we have seen, though, and what, again, has been driving what is turned into be a cottage industry, which we have now banned, is where door-to-door -door salesmen are, are targeting neighborhoods where storms have passed. We've seen examples of two, three years after the fact. Uh, they come in 
knocking on the door, guaranteeing a free roof. And before the homeowner even knows what they've done, uh, they've signed on uh, to a scheme that will immediately bring about litigation before the insurance company ever even had a chance to respond or make a claim. And so, look, at the end of the day, this is not an insurance company versus uh, trial attorneys. This is an issue that affects every Floridian, again, myself included. Uh, so that's where we want to get right down to the bottom of this and keep it focused on the consumer. How bad, or shall I say, how good was your home insurance renewal representative? Uh, it was around March. So shortly after we had passed the special session legislation, it had not taken effect yet uh, into law. I received a cancellation notice from the current carrier saying they did not want to renew my policy. However, and this is the key message to listeners, by engaging with my, with my insurance agent, uh, we were able to successfully shop and get uh, equal coverage uh, without an increase in my premium. Competition is a key factor so that you can shop around. You have uh, options as a homeowner to cover what is probably your largest investment. State autopsies of failed property insurance companies here in Florida have found that big payouts to subsidiaries drain those insurance companies of cash, leading to uh, an unprofitable book of business in Florida or bankruptcy. Uh, should there be reform regarding the pass-through of cash flow from Florida homeowner premiums to insurance subsidiaries, directors, and executives? Look, I, I can tell you this. When it comes to driving down the cost of property insurance, uh, every option is always on the table. And, and, and we have been clear uh, that we will hold insurance companies accountable. If you come into this state uh, and write policies, especially in the time of a storm when homeowners need that relief most, uh, we will hold you accountable. Um, with that being said, we have to take a balanced approach to make sure that we don't overregulate uh, and, and by trying to bring about a positive cure, we actually make the situation worse and drive uh, these carriers out. There is relief on the horizon and uh, we're going to keep doing everything in our power uh, to drive down those costs. A relief on the horizon. What kind of uh, time frame can you tell the folks in your district? The average homeowner single family home property insurance premium in Martin County is around five thousand dollars now. Yeah, you know, in, in the Marine Corps, we we had a saying when in uh, in boot camp, you know, when you're training for a disaster, the first thing you do when you roll up on a casualty is you have to stop the bleeding. And I think that's what we did back in February with the special session uh, was really draw a line in the sand to, for the most part, stop the uncontrolled rise in property rates. And so I think we have seen uh, a leveling off there. The, the next step you do is after you've stopped the bleeding, you start the breathing, you check the wound, you treat for shock. So we've, we're seeing the new carriers that are coming in. Uh, we see that the reforms are working. We are headed in the right direction. We're going to keep working on this with everything we have. I do want to ask you about the My Safe Florida Home Program. This is a, a state grant program that allows homeowners to apply for state money to help shore up uh, perhaps some weaknesses they have in their home, windows, uh, uh, that type of thing, to strengthen their home. Uh, the, the money that's been allocated has been tapped out 
what are you prepared to support in terms of additional dollars during the special session coming up? Yeah, so part of the the program, the MySafe Florida Homes, uh, provides access for every Floridian, for every homeowner to receive a free inspection uh, and report on their home. So that that piece is still continuing uh, to flow. However, as far as taking advantage of those home hardening efforts, such as storm windows, roof, et cetera, we do have about 17,000 Floridians sitting on a wait list. As we head into next week's special session, we are going to fund the program to clear the waiting list. And so those folks will begin seeing those dollars very soon. As we head into the regular session, I'm sure we'll dive into the specifics to, again, reallocate the funds. Uh, We have seen success of the program, strong demand, and and we're going to continue to fund uh, solutions that that make a difference. Any idea for that special session, uh, how much money uh, will clear out that waiting list of about 17, 1800 homeowners? Yeah, we'll, we'll see the exact number next week. I know that we will make sure we're able to clear up the 17,000 Floridians who are waiting on that money. Representative John Snyder is from Martin County, Republican in the Florida House of Representatives. Representative, thank you for your service to the armed forces and appreciate your time today. Thank you. What's your experience with uh, property insurance here in Florida? Radio at thefloridaroundup.org. Our inbox is open. Jim in Lake Worth sent us this note. Jim writes, can't speak for everyone, but my best friend over in St. Petersburg found a solution, sold his home, took a nice profit, and he and his wife moved to Portugal next Monday. Uh, Jim writes, literally leaving the problem behind. The insurance crisis is driving out good people. Governor DeSantis, take note, Jim from Lake Worth writes us. Uh, Mel Montigny is an insurance agent in the Florida Keys. He's the president of a nonprofit group there called Fair Insurance Rates in Monroe. He sent us this voice memo. Our constant battle has been for the ever-increasing windstorm insurance rates here in Monroe County, coupled with the now astronomically increasing flood insurance rates that we are facing with. Yeah, flood insurance is, uh, as we said in the Midwest where I grew up, a whole nother thing that we're going to have to tackle in the uh, coming weeks here. Uh, But send us your thoughts, radio at thefloridaroundup.org, radio at thefloridaroundup.org, or call 305-995-1800. Pam has been listening in from West Palm Beach. Pam, you're on the radio. Go ahead. Pam, you're still with us in West Palm Beach. Pam, we'll try to get to your can call. Can you hear me, There sir? we go. Yes, I can hear you now, Pam. Thanks for your patience. Okay. Go ahead. You're on the radio. <laughs> yeah, I just want to say we just paid $3,000 for six months hmm. of insurance with citizens. It's 6000 a year. We have a 1,400-square-foot, 75-year-old house in West Palm Beach with hurricane windows, hurricane doors, a solid roof, and uh, we were kicked out of our old insurance plan and had to go back to citizens and it tripled the price. Wow. So what kind of changes have you, uh, has that met for your budget? You know, I was very fortunate to get a raise uh, this year. (laughs) Congratulations. How much of that raise is going to the uh, property insurance increase? Yeah, 30% of the increase is coming from me and the rest from my husband. Yeah, Yeah, it's a lot. 
It's a lot. It is a lot. Pam, uh, thanks for listening in and calling and sharing your story there from West Palm Beach. Lawrence Maurer is with us now. Lawrence is a Tallahassee reporter covering the state capitol and has been digging in for a good long time on home insurance. He writes for the Tampa Bay Times. Lawrence, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me. Uh, We've got other callers who are going to share similar stories with us coming up. You've reported on the lack of convincing evidence that lawsuits are a main driver of the higher insurance rates. You heard Representative Snyder point to lawsuits. What have you found in your reporting? Well, yeah, we're five years into this insurance crisis, and it's been five years of insurance companies uh, claiming that frivolous or fraudulent lawsuits were causing premiums to go up and companies to go out of business. But, uh, you know, by now, there should be proof of that, that the lawsuits are driving up rates. But what I found is that basically no one knows how many of these lawsuits are actually frivolous, and no one can say how much frivolous lawsuits have driven up rates. You know, both of those are pretty basic questions, but the state can't answer them um, because the legislature hasn't studied it. They produced no studies on the state's insurance crisis. And as you mentioned, um, you know, of the numerous companies that have gone out of business, we know pretty definitively that lawsuits were not the cause. Uh, And they've, they've, Produce, the state produces these reports, and some of them are pretty detailed. Yeah, yeah, the representative did point to a report that came out of the state insurance regulator a couple of years ago uh, that uh, that was really eye-opening in terms of the, the, the proportion of property insurance uh, in Florida compared to the rest of the United States and the proportion of property insurance lawsuits in Florida compared to the rest of the United States. Something like, what, three out of every four property insurance lawsuits at one point in the nation were filed here in Florida? Yeah, that's right. That's basically the one piece of statistic that's ever been cited by the legislature and state regulators for why tort reform was necessary. It was used as the justification to end that uh, so-called one-way attorney's fees uh, uh, law. Exactly. And it's likely that lawsuits are a factor. I mean, there are a lot of lawsuits and there's anecdotal evidence out there of, you know, some lawyers behaving poorly uh, and uh, contractors behaving illegally, you know, but there's just as much, if not more evidence of insurance companies behaving poorly, which would trigger someone to file a lawsuit. You know, if, when you look at national data on complaints against insurance companies, Florida's top 15 insurers, just the top 15, make up 52% of the nation's complaints while only having 6% of the nation's premiums. Hmm. And we also know that there are adjusters working for insurance companies who have alleged that their employers were deliberately lowballing yeah. or denying people's claims. Yeah. And so these things, and there's, there's a lot more evidence than that out there for this poor behavior. Um, but we know that these things trigger lawsuits. Yeah. Uh, Lawrence, stick with us. We're going to get more into your reporting. We've got a lot of calls and emails coming in from uh, throughout the state as this truly is a whole state crisis. The uh, Florida home insurance challenge that all of us are experiencing here in the Sunshine State. I'm Tom Hudson. You are listening to the Florida Roundup from your Florida public radio station. This is the Florida Roundup. Thanks again for being with us. I'm Tom Hudson. We are talking about the state's home insurance crisis. It's been a crisis for several years, an entire state crisis, as homeowners are seeing uh, single, double, even triple-digit percentage increases to cover probably what may be your biggest investment, the home you live in. 
Radio at the floridaroundup.org is our email. Radio at the floridaroundup.org, 305-995-1800. Let's hear from Robert, who's been listening in from Orlando. Go ahead, Robert. Hi, um, I'm Robert from Orlando. Great there's to hear from you. Blame to be, yeah, there's a lot of blame to be placed, but, you know, we got to go back to the homeowners. I mean, you have to save for a new roof. So when someone comes around and says, oh, I can get you a new roof for free, and you elect to, Back about 15 years ago when this started, I'm an insurance agent, I started seeing this problem. My comment was, Mm. we're all going to have to pay for this eventually. Mm -hmm. Insurance companies are not going to lose the money on this, and this is what's happening now. And a lot of the blame has to go back to the homeowners who wanted those free roofs when they should have been responsible and paying and saving money to replace their roof. So when everybody, now, now, now this is coming to fruition. Now we're having to pay. My rates are double what they should be. Everybody, somewhat triple and four, four times. Yeah. But that's particular to this area. But we have to stop. And sure, the attorneys added fuel to the fire. The roofers added fuel to the fire. Yes. But the homeowners have to be responsible because they're the ones that say, oh, I want a free roof, when they know they should have been saving money to spend the 15th or whatever it what cost to replace that roof. Robert, we get it. Thanks for sharing that perspective from Orlando. It reminds me of the old uh, economic axiom of there's no free lunch, there's no free roof when it comes to Florida, certainly. Stephen is a neighbor of yours, Robert, in Kissimmee. Stephen, go ahead. You're on the radio. Hi, I'm so glad you got me. Oh, my God. Perfect. Great to hear from you. Go ahead. I pay for my roof. I pay for my insurance through the years. One day, I start getting a leak on my roof. Mm Mm-hmm. My wife calls me, it's a leak. I said, I called the insurance company. They they said an adjustment, it came, they denied me. They told me, nah, nah, we can't fix it. The damage is about uh, maybe $2,800, you can fix it yourself. I said, oh, wow. And I've been paying you all these years because they, according to the law, they're supposed to fix the whole roof. That's just that little part. I took it, I took the loss. One day my door rang. I opened the door to attractive young ladies. They offered me a lawyer they can get mm-hmm. because I had to put a I had to put a protection so it won't stop leaking. So what happened? So they they saw that. So they told me they offered me a service that I can get my roof fixed. Finally, I went through the whole process and they got me the money. They got me the money. Is that that I'm a homeowner uh, like that? The young man just said that we're irresponsible. It's just that I paid so many years for insurance, and then I didn't get the money. Yeah, Stephen, I, I'm, I'm so glad you called in to share you us need, that perspective. Need... Thanks, Stephen, from uh, Kissimmee joining us. Uh, Lawrence Mao, reporter at the Tampa Bay Times, joining us. Lawrence has reported uh, good and hard on the Florida insurance crisis. Lawrence, two interesting perspectives there on the role of roofs here in this crisis. Uh, we know that legislators have tried to crack down on the solicitation of roof replacement. Uh, what did you hear there from Robert, you know, looking at the homeowner and Stephen's experience there with his own roof in Kissimmee? Yeah, well, there's been a big question about, well, how big a problem is this? And there's basically no data. The state hasn't produced any data saying that here are the number of fraudulent roof claims. Here's the number of roof claims. And this is how much it's costing Floridians. You know, the state has tons of data. You know, the insurance industry is a is an industry based on data. Mm-hmm. And yet, why does why is none of it ever produced? I mean, we know nothing about it. We know nothing about these claims. Um, and is it the, the state, fact that you know, the data does not exist or it's just not being made public? 
both. Yeah. You know, the, the, the legislature a few years ago asked, they changed the law to require insurance companies to report information about lawsuits because they wanted more information. Uh, and guess what? When the deadline came to, to start reporting that data, 71% of insurance companies submitted nothing. As if zero there, data as if there were as no lawsuit nothing data right. exactly yeah uh, zero nothing another 18 percent of the of companies relate to it so we this this information still has not been released years after the legislature required it and you really don't see any outrage over that in tallahassee it's kind of a it, i mean it, it the fact that there's there's a lot of anecdotes but no data right. should tell us something about this right 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 and and so as lawmakers you know gather again for this special session coming up they're going to focus not directly on home insurance but home hardening but the legislative session in January a, a number of legislative leaders have voiced uh, promises yet again Lawrence that they will continue to come back to this home insurance crisis uh, is the kind of data collection that would provide some guidance on the table. Uh, probably not. No. Um, however, the fact that they did all this legislation to crack down on lawsuits and premiums keep going up right. has caused some anxiety among Republican lawmakers up here, who of course control the who, mm -hmm. who run the legislature. The they have a majority here. Yeah. They have a supermajority. Um, they are getting desperate. They are having meetings where they're starting to look at different ideas um, about what to do about this crisis. But here's the thing. There's, a, there's one basic problem, which is that the, the domestic insurance companies in Florida are a very powerful constituency. They donate heavily to Republican lawmakers and Democratic lawmakers. And the reason why we haven't seen bigger reforms in the past is because these, these domestic insurance companies are very powerful and resistant to change. Well, and you've just been reporting this week about a new insurance company that may be insuring Florida homes next year called Village Protection Insurance. And a very powerful state senator, Joe Gruders, a Republican from the Gulf Coast, has been pitching investors on this company. What, what have you been able to learn about Senator Gruders' role in, uh, in trying to start this new property insurance firm? Well, yeah, basically right after the legislature passed these reforms, making it harder to sue insurance companies, uh, he joined on board with th this company, Village Protection. Uh, his role is, is not exactly clear in it. Uh, he does, he, he probably isn't an, an, uh, at least a partial owner in this company. But yeah, he's been pitching lawmakers on investing in this company and pitching other investors too. And it has really not... Um, you know, sat well with a lot of people. Yeah. And, you know, his his projection, basically, that he's been sending around is a 165% rate of return within five years. Uh, boy, that's a pretty good ROI if you could find mm -hmm. it. Um, uh, is there anything preventing a sitting state legislator who votes on insurance law from being involved in starting an insurance carrier in Florida? No, there's not. In fact, there's a lot of lawmakers who are in the insurance business. Right. Um, at one point, both the chair, the chairman of the uh, insurance committees in the House and the Senate, uh, both were in the insurance industry. Uh, and so, no, unless you have a direct benefit, like, for example, if the legislature was assigning his particular company uh, money, that would be something he would have to recuse himself right. from. But but no, basically, you don't see any of these lawmakers recusing themselves from this. Lawrence Maurer covering the property insurance market like no one else for the Tampa Bay Times. Always great to uh, have your reporting uh, with us here on the Florida Roundup, Lawrence. Much appreciated. 
very welcome. We got uh, to hear from many Floridians here on the email and uh, calling us. Uh, Isabel writes us uh, that uh, Isabel owns a property in Fort Lauderdale built in 1956. We've been insured with citizens, but we're depopulated without choice, she writes us. We were given two options of other insurances, higher than what we were paying. We last paid $7,500. The new one, uh, the new ones are above $11,000. Orson writes, my mother finally paid off her home this month. She needs a new roof badly, but we cannot get the loan because we can't get insurance on her home. Her home won't pass a four-point inspection because she needs the new roof. Kind of a uh, Kafka-esque reasoning there happening with the Orson and his family. I hope you're able to find your way through that. 305-995-1800. George has been listening in and being patient in Davenport, Florida. George, go ahead. You're on the radio. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I'm in Polk County, which is in the middle of the state. Yep. Uh, so my premium went from 1700 then to 2300 and now I renew every December. It's going to go to 2500 with Heritage Insurance. Uh, I mean... Um, I got a I got a comment on this that it's the the Republican narrative is to ignore anything to do with climate change or global warming, whatever however you want to say it, and that's why they keep sticking to the lawyers and the roofers hmm. because if they if they acknowledge that the insurance companies are raising our rates and or leaving the state because of that the higher risk of global warming and, and climate change it blows up their denialism you know it blows it up so they have to stick to saying. It's the roofers, the lawyers, and that's what they're going to stick to. My insurance agent also sticks to that, and, and I, I just laughed. Out, I laughed at them over the phone. I said, "You're going to really stick to the roofers and lawyers. That's why my premiums are going up." And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, perhaps, okay? <laughs> perhaps, perhaps in the short term that may be the case, and in the long term, perhaps there's multiple drivers. George, thanks for listening and calling there, sharing your story from Davenport. Joe is with us in Miami. Go ahead, Joe. You are now on the radio. How are you doing, sir? Thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh, I'd like I'd like to speak to a couple of issues, and from experience, and not only experience, from um, being in the insurance business. I was a general lines agent for many years before retiring, and a homeowner in Florida, and lived here all my life. Uh, speaking to Lawrence, some of the data issues regarding lawsuits are proprietary, and that's why they're not trying to divulge them. They're not trying to give you information. Right. Protected no, by trade secret is what the regulators will uh, allow the insurance that's, companies to claim. That's, that's, the side, that's a side note. But uh, nobody ever goes to the issue of how many claims are actually denied directly by the insurance company by mandate. In other words, I had a claim, $25,000 for a roof that was damaged, okay? Mm -hmm. And we, we filed the claim, followed all the guidelines, because I was in the insurance business, uh, mitigated damage out of pocket, where we had to repair our roof, at least temporarily, emergency, tarp, things like that, were paid for out of pocket. Everything was done to mitigate the damages and the losses to the insurance company as specified by the policy. The insurance company dragged their feet for approximately a year, contending that they didn't have adjusters available, they didn't have people to come out, they didn't have um, um, uh, ways of getting the actual claim processed. Okay? And Something that they don't ever address is that there is a two-year time limit from date of loss where you have to file a lawsuit. So it's basically, uh, to use an analogy, 
you know, poop or get off the pot. Well, yeah, and 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 uh, the insurance companies will point out that uh, that length of time has increased their risk, right? A risk of of payouts, and lawmakers exactly. have responded by shortening up that length of time that homeowners have to file a claim. And again, they haven't given a definitive time. For example, they have not given a sixty-day, ninety-day window for processing. Okay. Or even for processing the claim in terms of, of after processing the claim. Uh, Joe, we've got some other folks I want to hear from, but go ahead and make your last point, please. Uh, it's been for years. The insurance lobby is very, very powerful, and they have ways of turning a, 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 a story on its side so that it's everybody else but them. And, but and, the main culprit here is the insurance companies that just walk away from the problem. Like jo- they're doing right now. They're Joe, we, we, not to cover. we got it. Thanks so much for joining that conversation. Rhonda in Orlando will give you the last word. Rhonda, go ahead. You're on the radio. Hi, thanks. It's a great show, and I want to thank Lawrence for his coverage. Um, we're homeowners. We have never had a claim on our house. We put a roof on a new roof on our house out of pocket to try to get a better insurance rate because that's how the free market should work. We were pushed into citizens. And then right after the legislative session closed, the citizens notified us they were dropping us. We had one option for an insurance company. That was $2,800 more. We live in Orlando, again, not in a coastal area, Mm -hmm. not an area that is prone to a lot of storms. And when we looked up this company, it was a recent startup with no history in the state. Yeah. Uh, One that would be much like what uh, Joe Gruders was was shilling um, as one of his partners. So I, I think everybody should look up their insurance company that they're being pushed to. And we're pe- we're spending out of pocket twenty thousand dollars, and potentially with a company that is a fly by night start startup company, are probably not going to have any of our insurance claims covered after the next storm because it would be probably easy now that no one can be sued for them to pull up well, stakes. Bankruptcy. Yeah, it's it's not so much that no that you can't ensue an insurance company. A homeowner can still sue an insurance company, but there's there's new rules around recouping those attorneys' expenses. But Rhonda, we really appreciate you listening and sharing that story from Orlando. Listen, folks, this is a huge issue for the state of Florida, no doubt about it. It's an issue that we're going to continue to cover, and we will continue to uh, offer conversation and uh, contemplation here on the Florida Roundup in the uh, four, uh, coming weeks here. So we're not going to drop this issue at all, but we do have plenty more to talk about as you're listening to the Florida Roundup from your Florida public radio station. Let's turn our attention to another story that we've been following for months, and you've been seeing this as well, the battle over control of one of the government boards that oversees one of the state's largest employers, Walt Disney World. It's been nine months now since Governor Ron DeSantis launched his efforts, taking over what was previously known as the Reedy Creek Improvement District, now called the Central Florida Tourism Oversight District. And Jason Garcia is an investigative reporter who has been following this and writes the newsletter Seeking Rents. Jason, welcome back to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. You have reported that almost three dozen employees have quit since this takeover nine months ago. Uh, what reasons are they giving for stepping away? Yeah, it's actually uh, more than three dozen at this point because we've hmm. we've learned about a few more since uh, <laughs> since, since, since we wrote that story. Yeah, yeah exactly. 
Um, and what you find is um, I spoke to a couple of folks and then also requested all the exit surveys. And what you find is a lot of folks are blaming the new the new leadership that Ron DeSantis has installed there. And so the backstory is here. This uh, this government district used to be essentially appointed by Disney. Disney controlled the board elections. Right. But uh, Ron DeSantis got the legislature to change the law so he could appoint the board members himself. And he ended up putting uh, installing on this board like a, a big Republican donor, a Moms for Liberty co-founder and a former pastor who once called homosexuality, quote, evil. Um, and those those board members immediately forced out the district's uh, longtime or, or existing district administrator and brought in another DeSantis loyalist. And what you're seeing from uh, a lot of these folks, many of whom have been there 20, 30 years, is that this new leadership, the, the terms that keep coming up are inept, dishonest and toxic. Is there a direct impact on the operations? Oh yeah, you're yeah you're seeing this. One of the comments in one of the exit surveys, and, and this is a, a a direct quote, is that um, with the departure of more than three dozen employees, the district is no longer functional. Um, just the other, just a few days ago, they they posted five job openings just in their facilities department, and that's the department that's you know maintains the you know does building and vehicle maintenance yeah. all around Walt Disney World. And they cut the budget for road repair, correct? Yeah, that's right. They cut the budget uh, for road resurfacing by uh, three million dollars. Now, they said uh, the board said at the time this was all uh, this was a supply chain thing that they couldn't they couldn't procure enough material. But, you know, when you talk to a lot of uh, folks at the district or have recently left, a lot of folks think that was intentionally spiteful to just sort of make life as miserable as possible for Disney. Jason Garcia, an investigative reporter who writes with the newsletter, it's his newsletter, Seeking Rents. Great stuff, Jason. Thanks for sharing your reporting with us. Yeah, thanks again. We've got plenty more to come, including how some of us beat the heat this summer. You're listening to the Florida Roundup from your Florida Public Radio station. This is the Florida Roundup. Thanks again for spending time with us this week. I'm Tom Hudson. We have a couple of stories now about the intersection of education and immigration. First up in Polk County, Mulberry Community Academy serves migrant families with classes in both English and Spanish. It's a charter school, and it's been expanding, even though Florida's new immigration law cracks down on undocumented immigrants. Nancy Guan reports from our partner station in Tampa, WUSF. At the Mulberry Community Academy, children learn in Spanish and English. The teacher gives them a lesson on the Spanish alphabet. What are these symbols, she asks them. Later in the day, they'll switch to their English class. The school primarily serves children of migrant farm workers, most of whom speak Spanish at home. Language is one way the school tries to help this community. We're not only working with the child, we're working with the family. Isabel Garcia is the executive director of Redland Christian Migrant Association, or RCMA. It's the nonprofit that runs Mulberry and other migrant charter schools across Florida. Garcia says there's a huge need for schools that prioritize the kids' culture while also accommodating the family's seasonal schedule. So they pack everything they have into their vehicle and they move to North Carolina where they're going to either pick tomatoes or they go to Alabama where they're going to pick tomatoes or they go to New York where they're going to pick apples. Often, children travel with their parents. They leave before one school year is over and come back when the new year has already started. What migrant children need is they need that catch-up. And in order to do that, RCMA goes above and beyond by providing wraparound services. That can look like extra tutoring or weekend classes. Garcia says that this year, though, support for families is more crucial than ever. Senate Bill 1718, which became law in May, made it illegal to transport undocumented individuals into the state. 
about 150,000 to 200,000 seasonal and migrant farm workers travel into Florida each year, and nearly half lack documented immigration status, according to the Florida Policy Institute. During the summer, we ran some summer programs to be able to serve some of the children that we knew that would normally leave who didn't leave. Garcia says some in the farming community don't know what they'll do. Our families are living in fear. Our families don't know if they're going to leave because they are scared that when they do come back in October and November that they will be detained and convicted of a felon for transporting their own family. With these families staying in Florida, the school just announced plans to expand. In the next five years, they intend to add grades two through eight, and there's already a growing wait list for those spots. Hello, everyone. It's nice to see you all. That's Ilda Martinez, an alumni of RCMA. She now works in Washington, D.C. with the National Migrant and Seasonal Head Start Association. She recently spoke to a group of parents and supporters at Mulberry. Uh, so much of my background is that so much of my family members still work in the fields. Martinez remembers driving across the country with her family to Michigan for apple season, with her nose stuck in a book most of the way. It kind of felt like I was traveling with my whole family. And I really enjoyed it. I was like, oh, I've been to this state. I've been here. I've been here. But things are different now, she says. There's greater risk in such travel. And she hears that some family and friends don't want to return to Florida. So just seeing that and hear that, like, it was a little terrifying, I think, and a little heartbreaking. But even with so much uncertainty, Martinez says the community is resilient. She sees the support for Mulberry's expansion. I think when it it comes to moments like this, like the community, instead of like falling apart, it comes together. Between that and the work she's doing in D.C., she sees people working to help this community. And this gives Martinez hope that migrant farmer families, regardless of their documentation status, can still thrive in Florida. I'm Nancy Guan in Tampa. In Clay County, in northeast Florida, the school district there agreed to boost its services for students learning English for the first time. This week, the district settled a Department of Justice investigation that found Clay County schools did not provide students who don't speak English the instruction necessary to become fluent. Stephen Ponson is a reporter with WJCT, our partner station in Jacksonville. Stephen, welcome to the program. What shortcomings did the Department of Justice find with the classes offered for non-English speaking students in Clay County? Failure to appropriately identify and assess potential English learning students. The district also had issues with their English learning program that it was not adequate enough to basically be implemented across the entire school district. And also, this was one that I thought was somewhat interesting, was that the district did not properly evaluate its English learning programs to see if they were even effective at all. What will the school change? What it has agreed to change in terms of how it is teaching English to second language learners? What they were planning to do is make sure that they have teachers who are well-trained to support these English learners. That's just one aspect, but they're also going to change how they identify these English learning students more appropriately and in a more timely manner. And also, they're not going to let these language barriers prevent these students from accessing the certain programs that they need, like any sort of academic programs or behavioral services uh, that they need to be part of the general student population. So what's the range of first languages for these students and parents? There's about 38,000 students within the Clay County uh, school system. And of those, about 
little more than 1,200 students are the ones who are learning English as their second language. And about two-thirds of those are, are Spanish-speaking students. Stephen Ponson is a reporter with WJCT, our partner station in Jacksonville. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you. I'm Tom Hudson, and you are listening to the Florida Roundup from your Florida Public Radio Station. And finally, on the Roundup this week, there are plenty of ways we mark the seasons here in Florida, where some of us mark seasons a little bit differently, right? There's hurricane season, tourist season, even strawberry and mango seasons in some of our regions. Well, now that Halloween is over, I think we can say it is autumn for all of us in Florida, from the Panhandle down to the peninsula. Pensacola and Key West both recorded their hottest summers on record this past summer, according to the Florida Climate Center at Florida State University. Hopefully we can say goodbye to that historically hot summer and all the ways we dealt with that extreme heat. I'm Julia Cooper in Miami. Every week, a group of women make their regular trip to the mall. But they're not there to shop. They're actually there to walk. 27 minutes for this mile. That's terrible, right? The retired women who call themselves the walkers log two and a half miles five days a week. They say they found refuge in the fluorescent lighting and air conditioning of Dadeland Mall. Especially this summer, we were very happy not to have to go outside. You know, we're all in our 70s, so we want to be comfortable. That's Ginny Vespi. She says the mall walking group gives each member not just a chance to exercise safely, but also to connect with one another. Well, it's therapy. It's therapy, especially during the pandemic. I probably wouldn't walk without them (laughs) because I hate to walk. It's a big part of my life. I mean, I really look forward to it. Dadeland Mall was supposed to be a temporary solution, and the women hoped to get back to walking outdoors after the summer heat subsided. Now we come here all the time. And the stores aren't open, and it's, you know, pretty empty. And so it's nice. Now they think they'll stick to the indoors. And then at 10 o'clock, we finish and we go to Starbucks. Solve the problems of the world, you know? I'm Joshua Ceballos in Miami. While people stay inside air-conditioned buildings, how are animals beating the heat? At Zoo Miami, the staff have creative ways of keeping their furry and feathered friends cool. A flock of pink flamingos is chilling casually in a gurgling pond, where nearby, Ron McGill is sweating under the noonday sun. He's the spokesperson for Zoo Miami. They release heat and take in heat through their legs, which are exposed to, you know, they're not feathered. So you'll see them commonly standing up and putting one leg up, and that's the way they relax. Zoo Miami specializes in tropical and subtropical animals that are used to the heat. But with temperatures as high as they've been this summer, other animals need some extra help from the staff, like putting dingoes in a kiddie pool full of ice cubes, or giving sloth bears a juicy popsicle to slurp on. Our sloth bear, we provide what we call these bearsicles, which are these large icicles that are layered with like strawberries and blueberries and Gatorade. And as it melts, it just melts on them and cools them off. So they enjoy that. For most of the animals, though, they just enjoy lounging in the shade like the rest of us. I'm Wilkin Brutus in West Palm Beach. 
At the West Gate Community Farm, there's a neat row of squashes, green beans, and Seminole pumpkins. Farmers and volunteers water, trim, and propagate leafy greens just in time for the fall harvest. But at the West Gate Community Farm, growing fresh produce in extreme heat conditions comes with sizzling challenges. A few weeks ago, West Palm Beach reached 100 plus degrees. Anuela Alexandre is a garden organizer who runs horticulture workshops under her nonprofit, A Green Community. She says not even plants are immune to extreme heat. The farm has a greenhouse with a hoop-like structure to keep plants like tomatoes and peppers cool during the growing season. When we have our trees trimmed, I think that's just something like we keep in mind is that we still need shady areas. But not just for human beings, we need shady areas for certain plants. There are plants that can't grow in full sun. This summer's extreme heat has been a wake-up call about the tangible impacts of climate change. Alexandre hopes to help these plants to live another day so people get the fresh produce they need at the farmer's market. Wilkin Brutus, Joshua Ceballos, and Julia Cooper on how we handled the heat this past summer. That'll do it for our program this week. The Florida Roundup is produced by WLRN Public Media in Miami and WUSF Public Media in Tampa. Bridget O'Brien produced our program. WLRN's Vice President of Radio and our Technical Director is Peter Mares. Engineering help each and every week from Doug Peterson, Charles Michaels, and Jackson Harp. Richard Ives answers the phones. Our theme music is provided by Miami Jazz guitarist Aaron Lebos at AaronLebos.com. Don't forget, if you missed any of today's program, you can download it and revisit past programs at WLRN.org slash podcasts. Thanks for calling, emailing, listening, and supporting public radio in your community. I'm Tom Hudson. Have a terrific weekend.